We're going to continue in our look at the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom life, talking about the king. So we're going to read together today, Matthew 9, 27 to 31. You can follow along with me there. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and said to him, Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you would say, you can just put your hands up or not at all, I don't, I'm, this is not an official scientific poll, how many of you would say you're scared of heights? Got a few of them, okay. So this story might be especially triggering to you, just be warned. Um, in 1859, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin decided he wanted to show the world that he was the best tightrope walker in the world. So he decided that he was going to stretch a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This tightrope was 160 feet above the top of the falls and well over 300 feet above the bottom of the falls. He decided that he was going to show everybody that he could do it, so he walked forwards. He walked backwards. That wasn't enough. He walked in a sack. He walked on stilts. He went on a bicycle. One time, he even pushed a stove out onto the, the, the cord and cooked himself an omelet, which he then ate while standing on the high wire. Everybody was amazed by this, but Blondin wasn't done. On July 15th, he went over again with a wheelbarrow, back and forth, and he said to the crowds, crowds, do you think that I can do this? Can I push somebody on this wheelbarrow across this cord? And the people said, yes, we believe. And then he said, okay, volunteers. And exactly zero people would volunteer to ride in the wheelbarrow across. Now, a few weeks later, his manager um, was there, and he often, Blondin again offered the same thing, and he said, who will ride with me? And nobody responded. He goes, this is my manager. His life depends on me being able to do this. Will you ride with me? And he said, Absolutely. So he climbed on Blondin's back, and they made four trips back and forth across the High Wire Act. So who had faith here? Who had faith? Who really believed that Blondin could walk across? Well, his manager for sure. I think the people had that nugget of faith, but they really weren't really able to trust Charles Blondin with their lives, were they? They could trust that he could do it, very little offered, but would they trust the fact that they may not breathe anymore if he drops them? And the answer is they didn't. See, Matthew's gospel, the one book we've been looking at now for almost a year, we've been going through. Matthew is telling us over and over again that Jesus is the rightful king. He's saying, Jesus, you know, this is the king. And Jesus has just been recounting it himself. And Matthew records it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They trust him. They're beginning to see that Jesus is king. But the next step is, not just that you know he's king, but are you willing to submit to the king? Are you willing to put legs on your faith and actually do what the king says? 
What if the king tells you to do something that's scary or dangerous or just doesn't make a lot of sense? Would you be willing, would any of us be willing as subjects of the king to do what he says? Will we submit? Will we obey? Today's passage is about that. Here's the big idea for those of you that like to take notes. It is true faith confesses Jesus as the Christ and then obeys him as the king. True faith confesses Jesus as the Christ and true faith then obeys him as king. So this passage, though that's small, five verses, this passage has caused me quite a bit of grief this week. Um, not because the Lord was especially, you know, he didn't blind me and I got sight. There's none of those kind of stories. There was, there was no great, huge aha moment, that life-changing moment. It was more, I, went, I didn't understand what was going on in this passage. And you're reading it and you're going, okay, Pastor John, you're taking this a little too serious. We just read it. We all understood it. Yeah, but you guys pay me to study the Bible. So I spent a lot of time looking at this passage this week, and I had some questions. And honestly, I got lost in some weeds. I chased a couple of bunny rabbits. But ultimately, I came to, there are some questions in this passage that Matthew, as the writer, with the Holy Spirit inspiring him, just leaves hanging. And that bothers me. I don't like hanging questions. I want the answers. I mean, some of you guys are the same as me. You want to know why they're there. So these are the things I scratched my head with. Sorry if this now makes, I'm not going to give you the answers to all of these because I don't have the answers. And I think that's an okay thing, and I'll explain why. But for some of you, you may not like the fact that there are no answers to these questions. Here's the first one. Why does Jesus not heal these guys instantly? Jesus has been walking around. He's been healing people left and right. Okay, remember last week, Jesus is walking, he's surrounded by a crowd, and someone comes up and just touches the edge of his garment, and he stops everything to heal her. He goes and he visits the, the girl who was dead and heals her. The leper comes up to him and asks to be healed, heals him. The centurion comes up and says, heal my servant. No, no, you don't got to go, just say the word. And he heals him. There's no delay. There's no delay at all. So why are these men not healed instantly? Was it something they said? What was it? Next question, why does Jesus go inside the house and then heal them? What's the point with that? Why is Jesus like, I've done all my outdoor miracles, now I've got to do some indoor ones? What's the point here? Why does he do it? Third, why does Jesus tell them not to tell anybody? And not just tell them, he sternly warns them. Okay, this is like, this is a full-on command. This is not, hey guys, could you just kind of keep it to yourselves? This is Jesus going, don't you dare tell anybody. So why does Jesus say that? And then lastly, and this is the one I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to get my head around, why, if these guys were coming to Jesus with this incredible faith to believe that he could heal them, why is the first thing they do after they get healed to disobey him? That seems like the opposite direction. I feel like you'd want to like, do everything you could to obey God if he had just healed you, because he just showed you how powerful he is. So these are the questions. I have questions. And they drove me a little crazy during the week. But honestly, what I saw with me was I wanted this passage to give me the answers so that I could come here and I could say, here you go, here are the answers. I was trying to get this passage to submit to my desire, which is I got to be the answer guy. I got to have all the answers. I got I to stand up here and say, oh, this means this and this means that. 
and not say, I don't know. Now, I'm in good company because none of the commentators know either. They were zero help. As a matter of fact, Mark and Luke, apostles, they're zero help. They don't even include this story in their version. So instead of me trying to get the Bible to submit to me and my desires, I had to come under the Bible and go, okay, Lord, you put this here on purpose. You put these words here on purpose. Matthew left out the answers because that's part of what we need to learn as we go to God's word. See, we should always be asking questions of God's word. We should always be going, okay, what does this mean? What is this story here? How does this apply? God, what are you teaching me? Because there's not a wasted word in the Bible. Not a single word is wasted. And yes, that includes all of those begats in the Old Testament. And that includes all of those laws that make no sense. And those crazy parts in Revelation where you're going, I can't even imagine what that thing is. Not a single part is wasted. But it's not a choose-your-own-adventure. You can't go in and pick and choose the parts you want. You have to submit to the Bible. And I learned that lesson again this week. Charles Spurgeon helped me out on this. This is what he said. Christ's whole life was a sermon. By his deeds as well as his words, he taught people. Remember, this whole section we've been in has been action, 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 action. Jesus is very, very mum. He doesn't say much after having talked for three whole chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in two weeks when we get to chapter 10, all of a sudden he's teaching again. But in this section, he doesn't say much. Something like 20 words total. But yet he's teaching the entire time. Jesus' miracles attest to his mission. Those who saw them had proof that he was from God. His miracles are a form of instruction. And he shows us this vividly through what he does here. See, I was hoping that Jesus would come in and give me the key to answer what does all this mean. And instead, Jesus is saying, look at who I am and look at what I've done. That's what you need to know. And if you needed to know more, I would have included it. So, Pastor John, submit to the text and see what's there. So with this in mind, I, as I was looking at this, the Lord revealed to me one thing that, that just was, was there, but just I couldn't see it because I was looking for something that wasn't there. And it was the fact that this is the only time in the Bible up to this point where a blind person has been healed. I went, that can't be right. It was. Old Testament, not a single blind person is healed. As a matter of fact, healing blind people is what Jesus alone does as a miracle. It's his most common miracle. And the reason for this is because Exodus 4:11 says, "The Lord who has made man's man's mouth, who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind, it is not I, the Lord." Psalm 146, "The Lord opens the eyes of the blind." And there's about 20 other verses that it says, "The Lord is the one who makes the eyes blind." Now we look at that and we go, "The healing someone who's blind is like the easiest one to fake, right?" You have somebody come up on stage and you go, oh, oop, can't see. And then you go, oh, he can see now, he's healed. Right? That's like the easiest one to fake or the uneven legs or, you know, something inside that you can't see. But these are people that have been blind their entire lives and everybody around them knows them. It's not uncommon in the Middle East in this area to have things stuck in eyes and no way to wash them out. And so many times their eyes would be puffy and putrid and there's all sorts of diseases as well that could be affecting blindness. And so this is not something you can fake. This is not something that you can, you can pull, people's, uh, pull people's leg on and pull a wool over their eyes. Instead, it is something that only God does. Moses, Elijah, 
Elisha, John the Baptist, they never heal a blind person, not once. So this is a unique miracle for God and God alone, or the Son of God and the Son of God alone. So let's walk through the passage. The blind men request a miracle. This is our first part. The blind men come before Jesus. This is what they say. This is what the Bible says. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. Now, that that followed him, this means that they were actually following him for a time. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, there's Jesus, let's go. It sounds like these guys might have been with Jesus for a while. They'd seen the many miracles. Remember, we're coming right out of the miracle of the little girl brought back to life. So maybe that's what these guys go, he can do that, maybe he can heal us. They're crying out, literally screaming loudly, okay? So they're making a ruckus. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, it doesn't sound like they're saying heal our eyes, but that's exactly what that phrase means. Heal us, make us right, son of David. Now, the word son of David, that that phrase there, is a synonym for the Messiah. It's a term that people would have used for Messiah as anybody. They wouldn't have said Messiah, they would have said son of David, because that's how they understood the promise of the Messiah. So this is our first question. Why does Jesus not heal them immediately? Was it something they said? Could it be that they needed to go to a quiet place because Jesus has now got a huge following? Yes, that could well be it. But I think it has more to do with what they call Jesus out in public. They say, son of David. And Jesus goes, I'm going to go over here. And they keep following him. Son of David, heal us. And then Jesus goes, okay, now that we're alone, I'm going to heal you. And then I'm going to tell you to not talk about it. And I think the reason here is because this idea of the son of David. The problem is, is that the Messiah had been this, this idea of Messiah, which comes from the Hebrew word Meshiach, which gets uh, translated as the anointed one. We have a translation, and you guys all know it. It's the word Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. Okay? And so to say Jesus is the Christ is saying he's the Messiah. And so this idea of Messiah had been abused in this culture. They believed that the Messiah was going to be a political figure, hence the son of David. David was a king. David was not a priest. David was not a religious figure. Yeah, he wrote these psalms, but he was not some sort of religious revivalist. Instead, he was a political. He was a king. And so that idea of the Messiah is very, very popular. See, Matthew's not saying, don't ever call Jesus the Messiah, because he's called Jesus the son of David five times already in the book of Matthew, and we're only in chapter 9. But this is the first time anyone else calls Jesus the Messiah. See, Jesus wants to kind of control the teaching. See, we're looking at it from, we're way past when the Bible happened. We're looking back to the cross. We're looking back to Jesus' life. And so for us, we understand where the story's going. We know the ending. We know Jesus is going to resurrect, go to heaven. We even know the ending of all of time, Revelation 22. We know all of that. They didn't know that at this time. And Jesus is not wanting to put the cart before the horse. He doesn't want this Messiah idea out there yet until he has the opportunity to teach what it is. And he's going to do that starting in chapter 10. So where does this son of David promise come from? Well, it comes from 2 Samuel. This is what it says to David. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning you are dead, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a prophecy for the Messiah. This is the son of David. He is the son of David. But unlike David, he's not a military commander. He instead is the suffering savior. He's the suffering sacrificial lamb. And Jesus doesn't want this to get lost on him. He doesn't want it broadcast yet that he's the Messiah. He wants that after the fact. Once they actually have the full picture and they can look backwards and say, yes, he's a king and his kingdom is coming, but right now he's bringing people to him. Remember, that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount was. This is what it's like to be a part of my kingdom. He's going to pay the price to bring us in to that kingdom. See, because when we look at Christ, we know he is the one that died on our behalf. Each and every one of us has a debt to pay. And there's two options. There's only two. We can pay that debt, or we can let somebody else pay that debt for us. And the only other person that can is Christ. See, if we pay the debt, yeah, we can, we can work off our sins, but it just takes eternity to do it. Or we can have Christ, who is eternal, pay off our sins at the cross. And that takes away God's wrath, and that is the good news. And because he's the son of God and the son of David, he's man and he's God in one, he can take away those sins. And so that's the picture of the good news. That's the starting place here. That's the blindness that the world has. That's what we all have. Ironically here, the two blind men who are physically blind see better than all those people who are physically able to see. And then what do they do when they get their sight? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. So why does Jesus go indoors to heal them? Well, again, I think it has to do with the fact that they're broadcasting that he's the son of David. I think that he wants to control that. He also wants to make sure these guys actually know what they're saying, that they actually know what it is that they are going to try to say that he is the Messiah. This word believe here is a word that means to trust. It means a deep abiding trust. So Jesus says, do you have a deep abiding trust that I can do this? The word able here is the word dynamite, which is where we get dynamite from. It means power. So he's saying, do you have a deep abiding trust that I have the power to do this thing? And really that word this is to do anything is what he's saying. Do you believe I have the power to do anything? And this, these men, they, they do have this faith. They have faith. They're persistent. So far, we've seen the bold faith of the paralytic. We've seen the touching faith of the unclean woman. We've seen the deathless faith of the father whose baby girl had died. And then we see the blind men and their pursuing faith, this extremely eager, we are going to follow you until you heal us. They respond, yes, Lord. See, they cannot see, and the yes puts them right in front of him, and the Lord puts them on their knees at his feet, and they're saying, yes, Lord, we believe. We believe that you can do that. One author writes, yes, Lord, is the right way to respond to all of Jesus' questions. Yes, Lord, is what the Jewish people mean when they coined the term amen. The liturgical amen means yes, Lord. So every time we say amen, we are saying, I believe you can do it, Lord. Spurgeon again says, true faith believes that Jesus can do it. It believes, of course, that he's able to do 20,000 other things, but specifically, he can do this thing. 
He can forgive the sin that is weighing you down. He can remove the trial that is afflicting you. He can sustain you in your temptations. He can strengthen you when your strength is gone. Christ loves for us to believe that he can do this. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus heals the blind men. So the next step is Jesus heals them. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. This word faith has the same root word as the word believe. It's the same thing. It's a deep abiding trust, slightly worded differently. Augustine writes, faith is to believe that you, what you do not see yet. The reward for this faith is to see what you believe. It's to actually get what you believe. So when Jesus says, according to your faith, it's not like he goes, well, your faith meter is big enough, so therefore we're going to heal you. That's not what he's saying here. Rather, what he's saying is, is that you believe in Jesus and you will receive what you have asked because Jesus is the one you put your faith in, not because of the faith that you hold. It's not proportional to our faith. We don't get to a certain level of faith and all of a sudden we get Jesus' ear. We have Jesus' ear the whole time. Faith is so contrary to nature that its existence in the heart is like a spark burning in the sea, Spurgeon writes. And then Jesus touches them. Jesus doesn't have to touch them. We've seen this. He can heal from as far away as he wants. And yet he touches them. Like I said, many of these eye diseases were, were gross. There were, there were things going on with the eyes involving pus and all sorts of other grossness. And yet Jesus is not repulsed. And he puts his hand there. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus touched the exact place and put his hands right on the eyes. One author writes, faith does not merit Jesus' favor, rather it claims his favor. See, faith is not the end result. Faith is simply a channel to get the power from the Lord to us. It's the channel. It's not, it's not the source. The source is Christ and Christ alone. Christ wants us to have that deep abiding trust in him. Not just to get us out of whatever hole we've dug, but for all of life. He wants us to trust him with every single aspect, whether it be our future decisions, whether it be health decisions, whether it simply be, I trust him when he says, do this and I don't want to. I mean, isn't that the thing? I, I, you know, we have three kids and so many times we say, I'll, I'll take care of that, but I, uh, no, I don't, I don't, do you believe me? Yes, I believe you. Okay, so I'll do it, but I don't know. You know, you get that kind of interaction. My youngest does that a lot. I love Lincoln. He's got more personality than all of us combined. But he does that. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, I trust you, but really, I don't trust you. There's that, that combo deal there. And the Lord wants us to say, I trust you, even if it makes no sense, even if I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, I trust you. See, it's not our strength of our faith that saves us. It's who it's directed towards. All of these faith stories, like I said, we've seen the paralytic, we've seen the woman with the bleeding issue, we've seen the, the girl that is died. There's faith involved in all three of these. There's also a directing to Christ our need, taking our needs to Christ. See, faith is necessary to apprehend the blessings of Jesus. But it's not our faith that saves, it's the one who our faith is in. Faith and faith is very popular in our world today. People will say, I'm a man of faith, or I have faith. We're going to have faith. But what's your faith in? If your faith is not in Christ and Christ alone, then it's just faith in nothing. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is the one who our faith needs to go towards. 
a story about a pastor, Pastor John, who lived in Houston. And he was told the story that he was sitting at home in his study and his daughter, little five-year-old daughter came in. Her name was Melody. She came in and said, Daddy, Daddy, I want you to make me a dollhouse. And dad put his book down and he said, I'll do that for you. I'll make a dollhouse. And she said, yippee. And she ran out the door and he picked up his book and was reading. And after a while, he heard something. He looked out his window and he saw his daughter carrying a big old stack of stuffed animals and dolls. And he was like, okay. That's interesting. And then he saw her walk by and she's carrying all sorts of pots and pans and cups. He's like, oh, okay, something's going on. And then he saw pillows and, and drapery and all sorts of other things. And finally he's like, I got to figure out what's going on. So he goes, honey, come here. And his wife comes in. He goes, what, what's going on out here? And he said, she said, well, your daughter, you promised you'd make a dollhouse. And she believes you, so she's getting ready. And he said at that moment, he dropped everything he was doing. He put the book down, ran to the hardware store, got there, got all the wood, and went out and built the dollhouse immediately. Now, why did that father do that? Did he do it because he had to? Because she was out there? No. Was it because she deserved it? No. Her daddy had given his word, and she believed and acted on it, and when he saw her faith, there was nothing more that he would enjoy than to give his daughter what she asked for, what he had promised her. See, I'm reminded of the Israelites in the promised land. And if you think back to the Passover night, right, we're going to be celebrating this in a few weeks as we get ready for Jesus' uh, death and then resurrection. And that Passover night, I can imagine that there were Israelites that thought, what are we doing with this blood thing, putting it on the door? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I guess... Couldn't hurt anything. I mean, the lamb's already dead. We'll use the blood, right? And then there's others that are going, oh, yeah, God will promise. God said, and this blood's going to keep us safe. And then that night, the angel of death comes. Whose, people were, whose kids were saved? Both of them. See, even having that little teeny bit of faith there is not what brings that thing to bear. It's the promise by God. See, that's the thing is God's promises have the power, not our faith. Not our lack of faith, not the amount of our faith, but God's promise to us. The promise is good because the God is good. And the reliability of the promise is what matters. Verse 30, and their eyes were open. Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. This eyes being opened was a prophecy from Isaiah 29, 18, where it says, in that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Later on in Isaiah 35, he says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. This sternly warning of Jesus, though, is him saying, Do not share this. One author says it's like a snorting sound. Like, don't, don't share anybody. Okay? We don't picture Jesus that way, but that's the deep emotion that we see here. So why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus not want them to share? So I spent a little bit of time trying to figure out the it. Verse 30, it says, see that no one knows about it. And I went back and forth and I said, okay, is it the healing? Okay, so these guys are supposed to go out and not share the fact that they've been healed. Well, that seems a little weird. Well, maybe it's, the, maybe it's the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's it, right? He doesn't want people to know he's the Messiah, but go ahead and share the healing. See, again, I'm trying to chase bunnies. I'm trying to find something that's not in the text. Matthew leaves it purposely vague. 
Because the next word in verse 31 is what? But. That's a contrast word. What that means is that they didn't do whatever it was that Jesus said. So was it the healing? Sure. Was it the fact that he was the Messiah? Sure. It doesn't matter. What matters was, but they went and did it anyways. And see, this, this lines up with other places in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 16, 20, Jesus heals somebody and he tells the disciples, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ yet. Don't tell them. In other places, he says, don't tell them until after I have died. And again, they miss it. They're like, he's going to die? What? This, he doesn't want people to not understand the context of what he's doing. Jesus wants to teach his messiahship. He wants to teach his healings a certain way. He doesn't want it getting out. You know, Jesus teaches a lot about his messiahship. So for us, again, we're looking backwards through it. We can see how Jesus is matching up. So I want to give you just a little taste of that. This is in their future. For us, it's in our past. Jesus' last words recorded in the Bible come from Revelation chapter 22. He says, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Surely I am coming soon. And the book of Revelation ends with, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. We believe it is so. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We believe he is coming as a savior, as a king. We believe, like 2 Samuel 23 says, that he will come and rule like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloud this morning. We believe that Jesus has come and take dominion, Psalm 72, of the sea and the land. We believe, Isaiah 11, come and reunite the wolf and the lamb, the calf and the lion. Let the children play in safety on your holy mountain. We believe with Hosea 3.5, Ezekiel 34, come and cure our waywardness. Rule our rebel and our aching hearts. We believe, as Psalm 132, come and clothe your enemies with shame and wear your shining crown. Yes, root of Jesse, son of David, come quickly. This is who he is looking back through Scripture. For them, it's in their future. It's coming their way. We, don't have the, we, we have the full picture. They don't. And really, honestly, these disciples, even when it's so incredibly clear, they miss the point. So Jesus gives these two men an impossible task to do. Don't tell anybody you got healed. Don't tell anybody that the one that healed you is the Messiah that everybody's looking for. Keep it to yourself. And part of me goes, well, how, how could they not share? I mean, were they supposed to walk around and pretend they were blind? No. They couldn't help but the fact that they were seeing everything. I mean, imagine that. Seeing colors for the first time. Seeing a sunset for the first time. These guys had a lot to share. But yet the Lord said, don't tell them about the healing. Don't tell them about the Messiah. Part of us goes, well, I think the Lord will understand if we don't do it. Because, I mean, come on. This just doesn't seem fair. I mean, Jesus really probably didn't mean not share it. Maybe share means, you know, and we'd start to try to parse out that word. You see how that's no different than what I was doing earlier with the Scripture? When I was going, I want this to fit into my mold and match up with what I want. Ultimately, we need to submit to what's there. And these two men didn't do it. So what happens next? Verse 33. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. The message says they were hardly out the door before they started blabbing to everybody. 
I think that works. See, this but tells us what that it was, right? It's saying they told about the story. They told about the healing. They told about the Messiahship. So why do these men disobey immediately? They had just been healed. They saw God's power. They saw Christ's power, God's power flowing flowing through Christ. Why do they disobey? I think there's a rebuke here for these men, and I think there's a rebuke for us as well. When they're blind, they see the Messiah just fine. When they can see, they don't do anything right. They don't submit to the Messiah. Spurgeon helped me again. He said, you, must, you and I must be willing to do what God tells us, as God tells us, when God tells us, because God tells us. Only strong faith will be equal to such complete obedience. See, these guys had enough faith to believe in God's healing power, but they did not have enough faith to believe that God could run their lives and tell them what to do. See, we think about it and we go, oh, if only I had faith that God would heal me. Yes, that requires a lot of faith and a lot of trust in God, but it requires more trust to daily follow him and do what he says, even when it goes against common sense. Even when we go, Lord, I don't understand why you're making me do this. I mean, think about these blind men. Lord, what are you talking about? We can't tell people that you're here. We can't go share this miracle. What? Why? Jesus goes, because I said so. And as much as that annoyed us when we were kids of hearing our parents say that, Jesus is the only one that has the full right to do that. He said so. See, we invert this, don't we? We do the exact opposite of this. These blind men couldn't help but share this amazing news. We do the opposite. We have this amazing news, and we keep it to ourselves. I mean, because did Jesus command us to go out and share the gospel? Just a few times. And see, we, were, we, we flipped this around. And so, yes, it seems ridiculous that we are to share with people that are going about their lives, minding their own business, about the best news in the world. And it may lead us to people being mad at us. It may lead us to people getting upset. It may lead to broken friendships. It may lead to getting in trouble at work. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, share the gospel as long as it's convenient. He said, share the gospel. See, we are healed from even more, and yet we can't even obey his direct commands. The blind men had experienced this healing in a direct way. We get it indirectly, through our salvation. And see, Jesus knows, and Jesus is teaching us through this passage, and I think Matthew's doing it as well. It's not enough to have faith that Jesus will get you out of your problems, but do you have faith to walk day by day through this life, through all the confusion, and submit to God's plan for your life, to submit to God's commandments? Is Jesus trustworthy enough for us to trust him with everything? Faith should always lead to obedience. This story of these two blind men tells us it's not automatic. The Bible is very clear on this, is that not only are we to trust Jesus with our eternal destination, but we're to trust him with everything from that point until he takes us home. And that's called sanctification. It's the the act of looking more and more like Christ through letting the Holy Spirit work in your life. These men were excited. Jesus had healed them. What's wrong with telling others that? One thing, Jesus said not to. There are times when God's commands don't seem to make sense, but obedience 
in these moments proves our loyalty to God. See, Jesus doesn't just want us to believe in him, doesn't want us to just know about him, doesn't want us to just check off our boxes of I went to church, I tithe, I did this, I did that. He wants our loyalty. There's an old word for this. It's the word fealty. This word fealty means formal acknowledgement of loyalty to a Lord. The Lord wants our loyalty. And that loyalty means that I don't just walk with him and trust him at the moment I'm saved, but I do it for the rest of my days. And for each and every one of us, we can be more loyal, can't we? Remember what James says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So these men can't help share their healing. In fact, it's ironic that people that in the Bible, all the people that were told to be quiet are all the ones that share it anyways. And we are exactly the opposite. We are told to share it and we're the ones that are being quiet. Yes, sharing about Jesus will make people mad. Yes, it will hurt feelings. Yes, it might get you unliked on a social media app or unfriended. But see, all of these is us trying to make the Bible and trying to make Christ's commands fit with what we want it to say. And that's exactly what these two blind men did. So the question for us today, do we submit to the God in the flesh, this Jesus, the Christ, who we trust with our eternal destination, but are we going to trust him enough with our day-to-day, every single day, that he knows what's best for us? So today, let's trust Christ and obey him. Let's not keep him to ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this difficult passage. And Lord, thank you that we don't have the answers, but Lord, we clearly see what you want us to know, which is you want not only our belief and our faith, but you want our trust and our loyalty. Lord, help us to trust you. Whatever it is, Lord, that we have in our lives that is not matched up to what you tell us we should be doing, I pray that you would convict us of that. And then, Lord, you promise to give us your spirit to help clean house. So, Lord, wherever it is that we have things that are lacking, wherever it is that we have things that are not where they're supposed to be, I pray that we would confess them now and take them to you and that we would submit to you, not just saying that you're our king, but having loyalty that follows you as our king. Help us to do that today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.